Uh, before I begin, I would like to, well, actually, I'll begin while uh, Evelyn uh, works her way up here. She's going to read today's scripture. But uh, I'm taking a couple weeks before we begin Galatians and just telling stories that are integral to the DNA of Central Vineyard. And in some of these stories, I'm not, I want to be saying who it is. Some I won't. Some I'll just use first names for various reasons. Uh, but these stories are like literally contain all these elements of what I think is the meaning of life and the reason to keep going. So yeah, let's do that one. This is Evelyn. <laughs> okay. This is Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important, or important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queens or queen of the Ethiopians. The, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah to the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of the scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. All right. So Philip ghosted on him right away. Didn't even get lunch out of the deal. Um, so I want to say we're going to be talking about this passage both this week and next week, Baptism Sunday. Um, I want to say a couple things about this passage and why I think it is critically important and relates to the story I'm telling today is uh, not, some of you may know that uh, there was a thriving Jewish community of African, black African Jews in Ethiopia long before the time of Christ. Beca and uh, probably going back to the Queen of Sheba, you know, hanging out with Solomon and coming back and bringing the Jewish faith there. And many of those people became the roots of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And uh, the uh, what some of you uh, might not be aware of is that in Africa there were theological treatises being written while west, the far western European Celtic people, some suspect, were still maybe cannibalistic at, at points. So uh, when western Europeans were still uh, doing some dodgy things, there was Africans writing theological works. Uh, so this kind of Eurocentric view of the history of the church, uh, not Bible. Um, anyway, so, uh, and actually there's a lot of history of what happened after this that's been written that's not in the book of Acts. But I want to say a couple things to this. First of all, a guy in a chariot reading a scroll of Isaiah, totally bizarre because it wasn't just like you guys have Bibles sitting there in your glove compartment and on your phone. 
that would have been like about $40,000 in ancient world. And there was, someone would devote their life to handwriting that. Everything was super expensive. So this guy, uh, head of the treasury, probably had a nice little stipend to go acquire books for their treasury going back. Uh, but there's certain things that early uh, listeners would understand that we don't. And number one is uh, this uh, Ethiopian eunuch went to worship in Jerusalem. But when he got to Jerusalem, he would have found something out. And that is uh, eunuchs are not allowed in the temple or the temple courts, according to Jewish law, because of their, their genitals were mutilated. All right, this guy who, uh, in order, uh, probably uh, not by his will as a child, was groomed to be the servant, and they didn't want him to have any other family or any other distraction, and they mutilated him. And uh, this uh, it was a practice that many uh, folks went to, but the Torah uh, strictly forbade the practice. And people who had their kind of were degendered this way, and who kind of had to live in this ambiguous space were excluded from worship. So this guy would have got to Jerusalem and they would have stopped him at the point. Now, I don't know if they had like uh, little detectors, but he would have been known in his role to have been that way. But somehow that didn't stop this guy from acquiring a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now, he's reading the specific prophecy of Jesus in the book of Isaiah, but why out of all the books would he be reading Isaiah? Well, Isaiah chapter 56, which I'll go into a little more, has a prophecy that no eunuchs or foreigners will be excluded from the worship of God. Everyone will be included in God's great act of grace. So in, within the Hebrew scriptures, one of the uh, prophecies of Messiah was no one's going to be excluded. Now, uh, if you read the Bible like verse by verse and take little things out here and there, you can justify all kinds of craziness. And generally, if uh, there were all kinds of nationalistic groups in the time of Christ that would take different verses. But if you read the story, another prophecy here, there's this idea of God starts small and insignificant to change the world, which is core to my belief of how God works. In a culture of influencers, God uses people that know, know, what would you call a de-influencer? Loser. God uses losers, the limps. You, okay, losers, the wimps, and those with the limps are at the center of God's good work. And uh, so this guy would be reading this book and be like, oh, cool, I get to play eventually. And then Philip goes there and quotes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You take a bath because it symbolizes Israel becoming a nation and going through the waters of the uh, Red Sea to flee the Egyptians and be out of slavery. So whenever you were uh, re-upping your I'm not a slave to sin, you would get baptized because the water was that Exodus journey. And the guy's like, well, baptism now. And I love it because it wasn't like, oh, you have all the doctrine right. You've got everything figured out. And you know what you're supposed to do with your situation the rest of your life. It's like, oh, Jesus, bam, let's initiate you. First thing we do is get baptized. So in a lot of traditions, baptism is jump through 18 hoops and prove you can answer these questions right, and then we'll baptize you. But I think baptism is just like the initial dunk that starts a journey or symbolizes it. Well, anyway, the reason I'm talking about the Ethiopian eunuch is this guy was a person who influenced and was one of the first converts to following Jesus in the nation of Africa, and it spread 
to, from the west coast to the east coast to around there. And uh, the church was established in Africa before it was in Western Europe. What I'm saying is this guy, the idea of being included in God's good work and being included at all changed the world. So I want to tell a story. I want to, I want to uh, tell a story of my friend Sabi. Uh, uh, imagine, so Sabi and her husband and her like one and a half year old daughter, um, they've just survived basically the killing fields in Cambodia, lived in a concentration camp and then lived in a refugee camp that was a step up from the concentration camp because instead of a teaspoon of rice, you got a bowl of rice and sometimes vegetables. Lived there for well over a year in a camp, this refugee camp, which if you know stateless people spent a decade or more in a camp. You know, the idea of refugee camps being a quick stop off is very rare. But she spent a year and a half in a refugee camp, and actually the same camp that our friend Savorn, who leads Ages Hope in Cambodia, was at. So her and her family came to America not speaking a lick of English, and the Khmer diaspora ended up in New York, a lot of people in Columbus, uh, Long Beach, California, a ton, and Salt Lake City. Now, like every time, whenever a big diaspora group comes into it, you always have people worrying that we're going to lose what makes America America by letting people in. And uh, whereas Christian people are saying, wow, people that need an opportunity to express the love of Jesus and people come right to our door to do it. Hallelujah. You know, uh, anyway. So they arrive in Salt Lake City. They're given like a little initial stipend, a place to live, a little bit of money to start up life. And everyone finds jobs. And eventually uh, they both, uh, her and her husband, are working in a machine shop. And, uh, but something happened in the, uh, something happened in the uh, camp. And that was, there were some people just reading the Bible in their language, telling them about Jesus. And as soon as Sabi heard the story, she's like, I know this is true. I know this is true. This explains everything. This explains everything I've experienced. Now, Sabi would have grown up marinated in both Buddhism and a form of animism, you know, spirits that inhabit different things, and also a very robust view in ghosts and ancestral spirits, which after the killing fields was a very terrifying reality because everyone that was murdered was haunting and seeking uh, retribution and such like that. So Sabi immediately just heard the story. It's like, bam, just like this uh, Ethiopian guy. Why, after growing up Buddhist and animist, would she just hear the story? Well, I said that uh, Sabi uh, immigrated with her one and a half year old or two year old child. Uh, well, when she was in the camp, uh, Sabi's family, I mean, Sabi had seen her brothers like shot in the head against a tree in her village by the Khmer Rouge. She had witnessed murder as a small child and a lot of things that she's not willing to talk about that were worse than murder. And in the, the way the villages work, if you've ever been to Cambodia, you go up a main road and there's all these horizontal dirt roads that go on, meander for a while, and then there's a Buddhist wat at the end with a few monks living there. And usually there's rice fields on both sides at all, just kind of the point person to represent the needs of the village. But 
and when the communists took over, they were considered part of the bourgeoisie. And uh, most of those people were killed. Uh, they spared uh, Sabi's life. She went to the concentration camp where most of, one third of everyone else died of starvation. Uh, in these camps, they were uh, not given any, uh, any green thing to eat at all. It was all just a little bit of rice. Uh, people died of starvation in mass. And no one carried a baby to term, including the guards, the people running the camp, because no one had any folic acid or anything like that. And uh, so it, whether you were the oppressor or the oppressed, miscarriages were the norm in these camps, which I just crying out and just like, what's going to happen? I'm pregnant. What's going to happen to my baby? And she had a vision or heard a voice, like one of these weird things where she heard God, which she did not have a concept of a God. Her concept was the force, pretty much, and karma and uh, spirits. But they spoke to her and pointed out certain plants that she could eat. And these were not plants that culturally anyone would touch or eat, but they are edible plants, turns out. So she would grab fistfuls of these leaves whenever no one was looking because you weren't allowed to gather your own food. And she would eat these leaves. And she carried the only baby to term, who's a dear friend of uh, uh, Adrian and I and the shoemakers and others that uh, this, this young woman is like one of the only people her age from Cambodia because no one was carried to term. Like she's, I don't think she's ever met someone within her age range. And uh, so Sabi comes in with her baby of a certain age that no one else came in, not able to speak the language. Her and her husband get a job at a machine shop that uh, he still works to this day. This would have been 1981, 1981, 82-ish. Um, and eventually, uh, they kind of learned a little English uh, and were able to kind of uh, work with, within the shop and stuff, but hung out mostly in the C Cambodian community and didn't really paint out much the Western community. Things were very uh, segregated. So uh, just because, and I, to this t moment, uh, Sabi's English is like, she's like, uh, they're working this machine shop and they're part of this little congregation. Well, this congregation uh, really emulated like the real kind of patriarchal male-centered structure that she grew up in. But the problem is Sabi, who had this experience with God, and God spoke to her, and she went looking, and then someone told her the story about the one true God. She's like, bam, I know him. And she maybe knew him more than the person telling the story. So uh, she ends up wanting to teach and has all these ideas from God of things they can do to reach back into Ethiopia. I mean, Ethiopia, excuse me, Cambodia. But a lot of the members of this church are kind of like not even going to go there because the trauma of even thinking about going back to Cambodia is just untenable for most people. Not everyone. I mean, I have a number of friends that have never been able to go back because what they experienced there. But uh, she's kind of seen as a little bit of a troublemaker. And if you know Sabi, she's a little bit of a troublemaker, but in the best of ways. Uh, this church has an issue with the leadership she's showing, and she has this study, so they kind of say, you guys really can't be a part of our church. Well, uh, they were looking for a place to meet, and they found uh, a vineyard church, Oasis Vineyard, said, oh yeah, anyone can meet at our place that wants to. Yeah, you sure you can have this? And they eventually became a Cambodia vineyard. And they're like, oh yeah, we want to plant churches out there. We want to do this, sure. 
So the beginnings of the Vineyard Cambodia started, uh, which is a, a, a ragtag group of churches, not in the urban areas as much as in the, the impoverished areas. It seems like, though, we're, uh, it, it seems like in places like Cambodia, Vineyard seems to really be able to plant churches among people that Westerners typically don't identify as leadership material, and so. Uh, Savi, her, her, her dream is to uh, start businesses so people aren't starving and plant churches. I'm going to tell you about the first place uh, they planted a church. It was the village she grew up in. It was a village where the peasants were under the sway of the Khmer Rouge, and people, the people in that village who killed her brothers lived in that village. Now, in these villages, the post-traumatic stress is multi-generational. And the people, the older, old men now, old men who perpetuated these acts of violence now have tattoos, a lot of them, from like their neck all the way down. And it's not because they're, you know, punk or whatever. It's not because these are all symbols that are supposed to keep them safe from the ghosts of the people that encounter what they believe are the spirits of these people passing on. I have some other, uh, these people that died, I have some other theories about that. I do think they have a spiritual experience, but I think it's more uh, demonic in nature. And to take the edge off that, uh, their addiction is rampant. So first place she plants a church in, and she starts gathering old widows to tell them about, and the first person's willing to talk, they start a church in her house is in the village that killed her family and that she witnessed. They don't know in this village that she was the girl that grew up there. She's never fully identified herself. They don't know because the way in that culture, maybe a couple people know, most of the shame over what happened, they wouldn't even be able to face her. So she's kind of done this incognito. And, uh, there's a road called the Ghost Road, and there's several of these. This was a road where they took people to be executed or all these people died. And that's where a vacant piece of real estate that no one goes on. And uh, uh, she, got some, she bought the road. It was just this vacant land. It actually was the tree that they shot her brother against was there. The first thing she did was have the tree cut down and repurpose the lumber. And that road, that road, they started building, uh, that was where the first vineyard church building slash community center slash kitchen slash water filter assembly area was. And they prayed over the place and they, they said, people are like, uh, hey, bad things are going to happen to you if you spend the night on that place. So they said, well, we're going to show you the power of God and God's cool and God can clean up any area. And they repurposed the place as a thin space of worship where they would serve and care for, where they would serve and care for the needs of the people in that village and now there's several uh, initiatives like that so a big thing to do in the early 2000s was microenterprise development and uh, try to uh, sustainable farms uh, tried uh, you know different kinds of business initiatives and every one of them failed Every one of them failed. And it just seemed like, I, and actually I was a part of a couple of the failures. I'm like, felt like a real loser. Um, some real hard work and uh, 
pretty far outside Bazambam, one of those initiatives, and one in Prebahir, which is uh, justice-wise, is the armpit of Cambodia. And uh, what we realized is, until nutrition for children is dealt with, you can't really start businesses. Um, in fact, kids that are grow up with malnourishment and parents who are malnourishment, the kids who are born into that really have some profound setbacks ability-wise to work in businesses because of severe malnutrition in their areas. So Savi's story came back to her about how God saved her baby's life in the, constant, uh, in the, in like the concentration camp. And she began writing a book on God's plan for nutrition. And she probably, I don't, she found every, a bunch of stuff in the Bible. God knows like how many things she took out of context, but she gets to the heart of it perfectly and wrote a book in Kamai about how to be healthy. And then she was like, what we came up with, I think you might have been this meeting, uh, Peter, like, what if we fortify rice? Because the, uh, a lot of the Vietnamese cartels will say, hey, we'll process your rice for free because white rice tastes better. And they take all the stuff out of the rice and make vitamins out of it because that's the healthy stuff. So people are kind of addicted to the white rice that's not as nutritious. But uh, came up with this idea of putting together this vitamin mix and buying this expensive, like, uh, not exp expensive for them, but spices that people love to put in their rice and infusing it with all the folic acid stuff and everything else that is uh, good nutrition stuff and then selling it for half the price they would buy normal uh, spices. So the idea is, you know, if you give stuff away, people won't use it because, like, what's the angle? But if you subsidize things, people will take it, just kind of a proven fact, and they'll value it as well. So they would get the fortified stuff for cheaper than the other stuff. And then Savi would uh, offer to also pay people a stipend if they, learn, if they can text her pictures on the phones she gave, flip phones with a camera of their garden around their house. And she taught people how to do square foot gardens like she learned to do in Salt Lake City, of uh, growing different tomatoes and other things in, to add to their diet. And she would, if they could send her pictures of their garden and show them like eating stuff, she would help subsidize them. Hardly any money. I think our, our part of this whole plan, Central Vineyard, I think we gave what amounted to probably about uh, $1,000 a year towards this. And then a, a couple of years later, after this program has been going for a while, we go to uh, Batsambam to a leaders conference where all the babies are there. And the big celebration was, this is the first time for the people in this region, pray to hear, where you have a bunch of really fat kids. Fat kids that are reaching uh, developmental benchmarks that haven't been reached in a long time. Because there's, not, there's a lot more resources around Batsambam, Phnom Penh, than there are in some of the outskirts of places. And I think about this, like I, after the fact, I've been talking to Kathleen who's studying uh, economic development, uh, economics and uh, global development at uh, uh, University of Chicago. There's all these theories that explain what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong, that Savi like, was naturally feeling that God was leading her to do. And I was like, well, Savi, you know that this is called blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, I don't know any of that. It's just, this is what God told me to do. And, God, and then she would just start preaching a sermon. 
And uh, one of the reasons Sabi got to emphasize and put her time in this is because she received the traumatic brain injury at this machine shop and retired. And she gardens and watches uh, Disney cartoons while she's on a treadmill because she says, the Lord told me I need to keep in shape because I need to be able to be healthy to go over and do his work because she used to be a little bit, you know, unhealthy. She had some heart issues and everything. So she'd be watching uh, Frozen for the umpteenth billionth time on her treadmill and what? Oh, Dallas Cowboys. And then we come to this, uh, we do this conference and she does kids ministry and she's playing, teaching all the kids to play football like the Dallas Cowboys. She's like 65 with a head injury and all this stuff. What am I, so this, Sabi is, uh, why am I telling her stories? We've been in partnership with her church. She's got a little ragtag congregation they lead that would never chart as an influencer church anywhere. Sabi is not like a Christian influence or anything. Sabi is someone that most Westerners would write off because of her language skills. And frankly, she, she is like, she's like my sister. Let me put it this way. Like we are both very inappropriate people sometimes at parties and we don't follow social norms and read social cues. Uh, she gave me the name Forrest Gump when she met me. She goes, because you walk like you're special. You walk like you're special, Jeff, and you know everyone. So I call you Forrest Gump. And I said, well, actually, it wasn't the first time I heard about how special I was based on my kind of little Aspergian walk. But uh, anyway, why am I telling this story is we have so many refugees coming to our country. And there are, I, I just want to think, knowing the God I know, knowing the Jesus I know, I can't imagine how many invisible initiatives are out there that no one has heard about, like what Sabi's doing. Because as I go through the world, or I go through our church, catching people in that act being Jesus-y. These aren't the people that are leading these institutional church bodies to settle out of court and hide sexual abuse because they're too busy caring for the fatherless, the widow, the alien, the stranger. And my experience, and the reason I haven't just chucked in this Christianity thing, is because I've been able to continually through my life meet people both here and around the world that no one else would give the time of day to have changed the world, have changed the world. And friends, when I look at Central Vineyard, I've got all these stories of people in their normal profession, in their day-to-day, -day, are the presence of Jesus. People who have more influence than pastors and some churches just by being like Jesus. I want to bless you in that and realize that in every way, a lot of people here have been open about trauma they've experienced in their lives. And the story I've seen that God tells through trauma is he makes space for your trauma. He makes accommodation for your trauma. He will put you in a family that helps care for your trauma. And he's even, a lot of, uh, historically, the church was really awakened to the reality of trauma and seems more people in the United States keep their kids alive. And I see Central Vineyard and say, man, we've got a ton of sobbies here. We've got people like that. We've got... And man, I just kept so much of the messy stuff out of the story. There's a lot of mess and a lot of beauty, and I'm just barely scraping the surface. But friends, 
I want to inspire you to be a welcomer and noticer of people on the fringe. And so many of you feel on the fringe. Actually, I, you know when you get like eight groups of people into one group and every group thinks they're on the fringe and there's an inner circle and the people they think that are the inner circle feel like those people don't want to connect with them and just like human insecurity works like i've had people uh mention like yeah i just uh, thought you were really aloof and didn't want to talk to me i said no i'm just a little brain dead after preaching and i love you but i've heard you know it's like you get two insecure people thinking the other one doesn't like them and it's just humans are like that around the world by the way but just thinking how when we just step out there and take a risk, and we might even get in trouble. Sabi got kicked out of a church. But what's amazing now is we've raised up a lot of women pastors in Cambodia in areas where literally, like one village where there's not a sober man in the entire village. Started out as a domestic violence shelter, and now our, our leader there is the leader of the kind of the... the She's the uh, matriarch of the vineyard in Cambodia now. And uh, she knew the Bible by heart before she knew how to read. And that's another story. Well, anyway, uh, guys, as we share in the broken body and spilled blood of Jesus, let's stand. As we do communion, communion was an exclusive observance for the people of Israel. And when Jesus celebrated communion, he took it to the world. Jesus came to Jerusalem, one city. He's going to return to one planet. That idea of the multi-ethnic, pan-ethnic ethnic mission of God, where the resurrected Jesus, where he, like many other kind and good people, were murdered, he's the one who came back. We all get to share. So this communion is now the all-nations feast that we're willing to embrace the sorrows and sufferings of Jesus and surf the joy that it brings. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ be present on these elements. There we go. So let's cut the worship folks come up. And guys, for ministry time today, uh, I want to, kind of a couple specific things. I want to name several things. So if you get prayer, if you get prayer, you're not going to out yourself about anything. So we have the prayer people come up. Specifically, anyone who's suffered a head injury or any kind of uh, cognitive energy that you felt has like set you back in your way to process thoughts or feelings or memory, um, we want to pray for you that God will uh, uh, bring a measure of courage, of healing, or of just take away any felt limitation. Uh, you feel like that's keeping from you. Also, uh, people that feel like your lack of education or any sophistication has kept you from being able to have a huge impact for Jesus. And also, specifically, any of you that feel like you want to play a role in welcoming and accommodating and caring for people like Sabi, and you feel like God's uh, calling you to a role in that way, reason I'm saying that is I want you to give prayer, but we're also going to be uh, rolling out some new uh, things going up with One Good Home that you'll be excited about. So God bless you guys. Love you so much. And if you need prayer for anything, get prayer. Bless you.